everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. Tim Ryder from the Apple. Guys, we are uh, off and running. <laughs> the Mets, uh, you know, they've had their ups and downs. It's only been four games, but, uh, you know, the roller coaster of the winter has continued. It's kind of been a sign of the times for the last year or so. So, um, yeah, you know, I think everyone's just kind of settling in. That goes for fans. That goes for everyone. Just kind of finding our... Uh, our respective rhythms. Um, there's been some inconsistencies on the field. Uh, there's been some inconsistencies off the field. But yeah, we're going to try and you know touch all our bases here. Um, let's jump into uh, you know we'll jump into Thursday in a second. Let's go ahead and recap the opening series in Philly. Uh, mostly disappointing. Uh, the Mets easily could have left the city of brotherly love with a. Uh, you know, at the very minimum, a couple of wins. They only left with one. They lost the opening series. Um, you know, we'll, we'll just kind of hit our uh, our hot topics, and, and I do have some thoughts on it. But, uh, you know, Monday night, after, you know, waiting eons, it felt like, for the Mets to open up their season, uh, Jacob deGrom, you know, as expected, per usual, pitched beautifully. Uh, you know, sitting 100 miles an hour, 102 at sometimes with his fastball through the night. Uh, the secondary stuff just looking outstanding. You know, it's Jacob DeGrom doing Jacob DeGrom things. Um, I guess a bit surprisingly, it was a close game. Um, surprisingly to an extent, he was pulled after 77 pitches. Uh, you know, first start of the season, the Mets had just had a week off, you know, they were throwing and stuff, all the pitchers, but, um, you know, there was time off. It was a cold night. You know, there's a little uh, adjustment period necessary. The Mets went out this winter and and did all they could to kind of put together a solid bullpen. And, and you know, they passed it off. They handed it off. Um, Miguel Castro took the ball first and <laughs> really performed well. I mean, he was, uh, he did his job. He was hitting a hundred miles an hour consistently. Uh, we've all seen the movement on his off-speed stuff. Even the movement on his fastball is just ridiculous. I was talking with uncle Pete this week. Hey, uncle Pete. Uh, and I know we've said it here on the show before uh, Castro and Edwin Diaz have such similar profiles in the respect that um, there's so much movement. And there's just so it's so much it's natural movement and so much velocity and just the 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 stuff itself is just so good and it just takes time to kind of harness that and you know the as is the life of a, rel of a reliever there's the, um just kind of the the chance for catastrophe around every corner it's 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 being a relief pitcher it's staying within your zone staying within yourself all those good things. Diaz seems to have found that groove and Castro, man, with, uh, with more and more experience, he's really, he appears to be finding that comfort zone as well. And boy, he, he's turned into a weapon. He's going to pick up. We've said this here as well. He's going to pick up a lot of the higher leverage innings that Jerry Ruiz Familia has, uh, has probably found himself on the outside looking in on now with Dell and Batances on the D on the IL, excuse me, uh, with a shoulder impingement, um, you know, trying to ramp up his velocity. It appears he hurt himself. Uh, we'll see when he comes back what uh, what the Mets have in him for the remainder of his contract. Um, but yeah, Castro can can easily slide in and assume that role, those roles, I should say. Uh, and we've already seen him enter the game, you know, 
many, uh, a couple of times over the first couple of games, and it's the same story. He's just incredibly effective when his stuff is uh, coming out of his hand right. And that's, you know, it's encouraging, something to build on for sure. Uh, so Castro took the ball, he did his job. Trevor May, he came in and he, he ran into some trouble. Most notably, he had a little control uh, command issues and, and uh, some base runners and such. But Andrew McCutcheon, who was, I believe, the last batter that May faced, uh, terrific at that. Just Uncle Larry is such a competitor. He's one of the best players of his generation. I said that in the uh, the recap for the Apple this week. Um, he drew a walk. He, he fouled off three uh, two-strike foul balls. Um, just outstanding plate approach, outstanding discipline. Uh, it was a battle. It was really, And it kept the inning alive, and it, it opened the door for uh, Aaron Loop to come in and hit Bryce Harper with his, with like, what, his first pitch of, uh, of, of his Mets tenure. Uh, Rio Buto poked one through the hole and, and scored some runs, and Guillaume's throw home. That It was a little bit wide, and, and I think the TV booth on SNY, they made very good points about how James McCann sort of turned into a first baseman. He could have, you know, shuffled his feet, straddled the plate and then tapped it however he wanted to handle it. He had the time to do so. And, you know, they got caught up in the uh, in, in the heat of the moment. And it is what it is. Uh, tough loss. Kind of just got to move on and take a you know, page from Francisco Lindor's book and just keep smiling. But, uh, yeah, Marcus Stroman kind of picked everybody up on Tuesday. Um, had a, just an outstanding outing, six innings pitched, one earned run. He was hitting his spots. He's mixing up all his pitches. And, you know, that's a, a bag of tricks is, is Marcus Stroman's uh, arsenal. He has just so much stuff in there. The the, the spin axis mirroring, um, you know, absolutely replicating his release points over and over again. And you know, if you follow Matt Brownstein, friend of the pod, friend of my own, uh, on Twitter, you see him post images of like Jacob deGrom's release points. And, and you can't tell that it's more than one dot. It's just consistency every time. Marcus Stroman was putting up those same types of uh, those same types of metrics and and with the with the spin mirroring, with the changing of speeds of the same pitch. I think he was throwing a sinker anywhere from 90 to 92. He hit 94 once. Um, really just uh, absolutely textbook stuff. I know Alec Bowman, I believe it was the first inning. All he saw was sinkers, but Stroh was just inside, outside, inside, outside. And, and, you know, even with one pitch, just Bohm was no match. And Bohm's a hell of a player. We saw that throughout the series. But, uh, yeah, uh, you know, fun stuff. I, I, I've said it here in the past. I've said it on the Apple. Marcus Stroman, in, at least in the absence of Carrasco, in the absence of Noah Syndergaard, he's going to be leaned on. And and really, his first, his first turn around was uh, – first turn through, I should say, was just fantastic. Um, Lots to build off of there. Dom Smith uh, got the Mets on the board early to run home run. Everybody loves Dom. Dom should be playing. Dom did not play on opening day. Uh, <laughs> Louis Rojas and, and the Mets front office or the Mets brass, the Mets decision makers, we'll leave it at that. Because, um, guys, we know that that's not solely a managerial decision. It's not solely a front office decision. You know, presumably everyone gets together and they build a lineup every night. And and the analytics department and the the advanced scouting department, everyone has input on these things. And uh, I think Louis Rojas is catching a lot of heat for for some unconventional. I'll leave it at that. Unconventional moves regarding his his lineup building or his batting order. But you know, you got to kind of shake it up and see what falls out. See how that cookie crumbles. And you know, I think you learn that. 
<laughs> Kevin Pillar um, leading off and, and getting that extra at batter two. And, you know, he came up and hit into a ground play in a really pivotal place. That was on Monday night. Um, you know, Tom Smith, or, or I should say, whoever would have been hitting in that spot, but you, I guess, Brandon Nimmo, um, yeah, he's been on a tear. We'll get to him in a second. You know, one would think he would have been in a more capable position to, to do some damage there. But again, neither here nor there. It's a loss in the book. There's 162 of these things throughout the season. So um, there's going to be tough lessons learned. Um, back to Tuesday, Dom had the two-run home run to put the Mets on the board early. The Mets actually got four insurance runs on the board on just one base hit, Michael Conforto's base hit, who we'll get into Michael Conforto. He's had some, some struggles of his own, but uh, I don't think we have much to worry about there. Um, Pete Alonso kind of sealed the deal with a little laser late in the game. And, you know, everything kind of was uh, was back to uh, Peachy Keen in Metsville. Everyone was happy. Um, going into Wednesday, uh, David Peterson was getting the ball and, you know, you would hope with the momentum and the uh, the renewed focus, or however you want to put it, that things would have gone, uh, I guess, clicked into place on Wednesday. And that just <laughs> wasn't the case. Um, Peterson got rocked early. And, and that's not to say that he was, you know, he made some location mistakes. I talked about it on Twitter a little bit. Reese Hoskins and Bryce Harper both had very, very hard hit balls. Hoskins had a home run and Harper had a, a double into the right field corner. Hoskins pitch, excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, Hoskins pitch was actually a, uh, it, it was a good pitch. It was on the paint. It, it was uh, yeah, a little high, I guess, I guess in his wheelhouse, you should say. And if you look at uh, Reese Hoskins heat maps, it's probably a, it's not a necessarily dangerous place to go on him, but um, yeah, I always leave the opportunity to, uh, to be knocked around if you put something on the plate. And, you know, he only caught a little edge of the plate, but it was enough for Hoskins and he, and he kind of creamed it. But Alec Bohm, uh, who who hit a three-run homer later in the inning, you know, Peterson left a sinker just middle, middle. It was, you know, it, I, I would give it the old Mike Mayer, the dick high fastball, but it wasn't. It was probably belt high, maybe even like a little bit higher. But uh, it was, uh, you know, a meatball. And he just absolutely crushed it. And it even, you know, I've said it just a little while ago, Bohm is a player. We're going to end up really, really, really despising when he comes to the plate over the next uh, decade or so if he stays in Philly. But, yeah, I mean, you know, Peterson snapped back into form. He pitched well. He was scoreless again from there, I guess, over the next three innings into the fourth, through the fourth, I should say. Um, got into a little bit of trouble in, uh, in the fifth. <laughs> you had <laughs> – uh, Jacob Barnes come in and try to clean up that mess. And, and JT Real Muto just absolutely bombed him. Uh, Three-run homer put the Mets pretty much out of uh, out of contention there. They made a run towards the end. But, um, you know, Michael Conforto had a very tough night. Um, he went over five. He left a ton of guys on base. You know, that stuff's not – it's going to happen. And Conforto's been a, a very good hitter with runners in scoring position throughout his career. I talked about it on Twitter. He's got, you know, mid 800 OPSs when it's a tie game. Um, I'm talking about clutch stats. I'm sorry. Like, you know, pretty much mid a minute, like 850 OPS across the board, whether it's a tie game um, up or down by one up or down by two. Uh, 
you know, for his career, I think he's something like a 800 OPS hitter with two outs and running and uh, runners in scoring position above 900 OPS with uh, just regular runnings and runners in scoring position. I mean, you know, he's got the track record to back up his efficiency in, in big spots. Um, you know, Wednesday just <laughs> wasn't his night. And, you know, he started off the season all right. I think he was three for 10 to start off the year. And and uh, things just have kind of gone a little bit um, awry for him in the last few games. And, hey, that that's going to happen. After the game on Wednesday, Conforto, he spoke. And, again, he's turned into such a leader with this team. Um, he pulls no punches with regards to his performance, the team's performance, whatever the case may be. He's very honest, and I think that really it, it shines him in such a great light to the fan base. You hear people getting mad on Twitter that he, oh, oh he sucks, he sucks. Now he doesn't suck. Conforto is one of the Mets' best players, and, uh, you know, everyone has a bad game or a bad couple of days, whatever. It's no big deal. But here, this is what he said after the game on Wednesday. Uh, we've got a lot of talent, and that's great, but we've got to go out there and execute. And that's um, true in every sense. I mean, that's, you know, it's the very basic fundamentals of, you know, going out and playing a, and playing a ball game and winning a ball game. It, it's, it's about going out and doing your job. And, um, you know, <laughs> all in all, the Mets haven't been really going out and doing their jobs, at least not at the plate. Um, there's been no executing, plain and simple. Uh, in Monday's loss, they left 10 on base. In Tuesday's win, they left six on base. Wednesday night, they left 14 on base. Nine of those was Conforto alone. Even on Thursday uh, in the Mets win, 3-2 win over Miami, the home opener, they left 14 on base. Um, excuse me, 11 on base. You know, they were incredibly lucky to escape um, Thursday's <laughs> debacle with a victory. And, and we're going to get to that in, in, in just a second. But, um, you know, the Mets have to do their jobs. They have to go out and they have to – compete. And yeah, guys, no one's saying it's easy to go out and hit a baseball. That's, that's not the case, but um, you know, whether it's, whether it's how the, the, the lineups being constructed, whether it's who's in a slump, whether it's trying to, uh, trying to get in line with the, with the numbers and the feel for being a man, if that makes sense, trying to align, I guess you, the information, the data at hand, and the feel for putting guys where you think they belong, like hitting Jeff McNeil in the seven hole. Um, I get putting a high on base guy, a high on base percentage guy down towards the bottom, just to kind of keep that train moving. But we saw it on Thursday that like Jonathan VR in no world should be hitting in front of Jeff McNeil, um, trying to do the right, left, right thing, which Luis Rojas kind of spoke to ahead of the game, which was his reasoning as to um, kind of breaking up those lefties, you know, at least through the starter, Nick Neidhart, who, who the Mets made look like fucking Sack of Satchel Page on, on, on Thursday. Um, you know, it, VR was batting as a left-hander while facing him. So that was a, a mood point. And then, you know, with the three-batter relief rule, the left-right-left left really doesn't make a difference. Um, you know, it just you got to do the things that are conducive to success. And, and you know, they're going to find their way. They're finding just – how things fit into each other. Everyone, like I said earlier, everyone's just kind of finding their groove. But we're going to get into to Thursday's uh, <laughs> Thursday's happenings, this little mess that uh, that was created late in the game. But, hey, the Mets, again, they had their opportunities. But we're going to get to that in a second. Hang tight. We're going to hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back. 
This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Football is back. And the best bet you can make is downloading the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It doesn't matter if you're new to gambling or an old pro. FanDuel has something for everyone. And as an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you know your bets are safe. There's also never been a better time to use FanDuel. Because right now, you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. You can even turn a small wager into a big payday with a same-game parlay bet. Just sign up with the promo code SPOTIFY to place your first bet risk-free on FanDuel Sportsbook. Download FanDuel today. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Fall Line is a true crime podcast covering the coldest cases in the southeastern United States and occasionally beyond. We focus on the missing persons, the unsolved murders, and the unidentified does that don't get media attention. Empathetic and intensively researched, The Fall Line will take you on deep dives into unsolved cases that you've never heard of and make you wonder why you haven't. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. All right. So back to On the Field Thursday. First of all, um, the energy. I mean, I, I was watching from home, but the, um, the energy of having fans back in the stadium, the, uh, the energy of people who might have been in the building just on social media, sharing their pictures, watching player introductions, that outstanding rendition of the Star Spangled Banner. Um, what a terrific feeling just as a fan. Um, you know, the cheers, just to hear cheers again and not, you know, canned applause or, or, or you know, uh, fake audience noise or whatever they were using. Uh, you know, you could hear energy. You could feel the energy. It was palpable and it was terrific. It was, um, it was wonderful. And it, it certainly seemed like, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Taiwan Walker was feeling that, uh, that energy because boy, he went out and, um, and it looked terrific. I mean, he was hitless into the fourth, uh, only ended up allowing two earned runs over six innings of work. He struck out four, uh, 58 strikes and 87 pitches, mixing everything up real well. He was up near 97 with his four-seamer, 96 with his sinker. Uh, the slider was absolutely you know, phenomenal. Very, very tight pitch. Uh, 26% called strike, strike and whiff rate, which is nice. The splitter, which he throws occasionally, as well as the curveball, both very effective. The bullpen held up fine. Uh, Miguel Castro turned in a perfect inning of work. He struck out one. Trevor May worked around a hit. Edwin Diaz looked electric, um, working around a walk. Just, you know, everyone was kind of doing their jobs. But, uh, boy, Nick Neidhart just made the Mets look like, um, you know, it, again, it, the Mets have to come to play. And and these guys aren't, you know, what happens when you go out and face a, a true ace, not freaking Nick Neidhart, who we didn't even know was starting the game until just ahead of the game. Uh, the Marlins never confirmed their starter, but you know, um, they had chances. Brandon Nimmo was on base a bunch of times as he's been all, <laughs> all, all the season so far. I think he's got five walks already. He's hitting like 429 over his first 19 plate appearances. Uh, Lindor added a hit. He came home on Tom Smith sack fly. Uh, Jeff McNeil tied the game. Uh, in the bottom of the ninth, on his freaking birthday, no less, with an absolute bomb 
into the whatever they want to call them now, the Coca-Cola seats, the Pepsi seats, the soda seats. The um, I call them the chicken fingers and French fry seats because the line is non-existent up in those uh, up in that corner. And uh, we'll also call it the David Wright seats because that's where I spent most of the David Wright game with uh, some terrific people. Hello, Donald Smith stand squad. The night of uh, of David Wright's last game, which was, uh, boy, it, it feels like eons ago, but it was only a couple of years ago. I mean, looking back, John Smith's walk-off home run in 2019 to end that season, which was the last time that fans were in the stands. That feels like a fucking decade ago, but, you know, back to what you're saying. The Mets need to have their chance, but, um, you know, you have to get out there and you have to right the ship. You have to lean on your fundamentals. You have to lean on your foundation as a team to go out there and stick to your guns. I'm not sure if Conforto is is actively avoiding sliders, but um, we've seen pitchers attack with first pitch sliders a few times over the course of the last four games, and he's just letting them fall in. Um, even later in the count, he, he's not really attacking sliders and that could be a you know that could be a um a course of action that him and, and chili davis have kind of put together like you know go after your pitch but boy if uh i can't even tell you who was pitching I, what the hell was his name in the ninth inning as soon as they said he was coming in oh anthony bass you know okay cool the mets have a chance and and they did they got it together they loaded the bases but boy conforto's looking at sliders that are just right down the pipe and they, they look like little hangers it's not even like they're uh they're breaking a lot. He's just letting them pass. And then, of course, <laughs> on the uh, on the last pitch of the at-bat, we've all seen the replay so far. If you haven't, check out the uh, the recap on the Apple. We talked about the uh, the play itself. We talked about the uh, just the whole situation behind it. And we'll run through it now. So, Conforto on a 1-2 pitch <clears throat> took a – it was a slider, again, because he hasn't been throwing sliders – and uh, well, uh, I forgot his name again. Anthony Bess put it on the inside, and Conforto, um, you know, the, the umpire initially called it a strike, but it glanced off of Conforto's elbow. And in, in real time, you know, it just like it looked like it was just a tight pitch, and it kind of glanced off. And well, okay, well, you know, Conforto's on top of the plate; he always is, and uh, that elbow always hangs out. But you know, you got hit by the pitch, and the umpire changes call, sent him the first. Once we saw the replay, um, yeah, that's bad, man. Like, Conforto, of course, after the game, he's, oh, I didn't realize my elbow popped out that far and maybe it swung out. He's got to say what he's got to say. But, uh, yeah, that was, you know, I'm not going to say that was intentional because I'm not in Michael Conforto's head, but it certainly didn't look great. Um, That being said, guys, we're going to take a win, even if it's a walk-off win on a fucking hit-by-pitch that was originally called a strike. We're going to take it. But it's very, karma's real. I know this from personal experience. We all know this. Karma is, uh, is real. What goes around comes around. You would hate to see, because you know the Mets are going to lose a fucking heartbreaker to the Marlins at some point this year. And uh, we could look back to this one as, oh, okay, that's karma just laughing at, a, laughing at the Mets. And, you know, it happens. It's going to happen. I'm telling you right now, write it on the wall. It's going to happen. Uh, you just hope it doesn't happen in, in a big spot. And as far as the Mets are off on Friday, because the stupid fucking rule of home opener or opening day and then have off on Friday, I get it. You got to reschedule the game. Or you have to have some way to reschedule the home opener. But come on, 
the, 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 the day off is just ridiculous. Anyway, um, on Saturday, the Marlins are going to, you know, and they had a gripe and they, uh, the umpire came out after the game and he said, yeah, I fucked up in so many words. He didn't actually say that. I'm paraphrasing, of course. But, you know, there's a lot to be said for taking a win any way you can get it, which Michael Conforto was alluding to. A win's a win, which is he kept saying that over and over again. But, and it's not his fault. It's the umpire's fault because that's an easy, easy call. Uh, the ball was in the strike zone. It hit the batter. He didn't do anything to get out of the way. That's a strike. That's an out. Um, it, it, it is what it is. It's an it's, it's a, it's a, it's a easy, easy call. I umpired for a few seasons. It's a, it's elementary shit. Like, you know, the umpire, and I, of course, I don't want to see the Mets lose. And, you know, we all know that, you know, I think Pete was up next, but, um, you know, kind of the, the, the wind out of the sails kind of moment. You would hope that Pete would come up, but, you know, we're all a little, little bit jaded as Mets fans. And, uh, you know, my crystal ball says, oh, that wasn't going to end well. And, you know, to be perfectly honest, like we said, the Mets left a lot of guys on base uh, the past two games. They've been, you know, I think Wednesday they had four, they had the leadoff guy on and four, the uh, first four innings. Um, I think on Thursday they had, you know, either the leadoff guy on or multiple players on in, in I think, four or five innings. Um, you know, you got to, you know, I who, who am I to say you got to go out and do your job? But, you know, it's, uh, you know, that the talent is, it has been assembled to go out and truly compete. It's, if there's no question, this team has the, has the required parts to go out and win and compete for division titles and make a deep run into October. But, um, yeah, yeah, you have to go out and, you know, you, you don't want to leave it up to, uh, Michael Conforto getting nicked by a pitch that he may or may not have offered his elbow at. And, uh, who, who shit, who knows? He may or may not have known that, uh, that was a non-reviewable call. All the umpires can look at in that situation is if he was hit, they can't say whether it was done with intent naturally, and they can't go back and say, oh, well, it was in the strike zone. And, you know, on Saturday, the, the Marlins are not going to be happy about any of this. Um, I just don't want to see it turn into a, a stupid freaking beanball situation where, um, you know, a Mets player is going to get hurt because the umpire made a bad call. Um, I, I, again, this is a, a still an, a very alive tradition, a shitty tradition, but it's a tradition in the game that you have to, quote unquote, send messages with, uh, you know, 100 mile an hour rock hard objects um, going at, you know, in, in a person's direction. That's just unnecessary. It's dangerous. There's no place for it in the game. But it's very hard to imagine that the Marlins aren't thinking, especially with Don Mattingly, a quote unquote old school guy, uh, that they're not going to go out and, and, oh, yeah, well, that you think that was a hit by pitch. Let me show you a hit by pitch. Um, and you'd hate to see it happen because then you have to get into the whole back and forth of it all. And it's just silly. If the Marlins want to do something, you know, do it on the field, you know, make it competitive. I've been saying here all winter, I think the Marlins are going to be a very competitive team this year. And, um, you know, they might not be star studded, but boy, uh, that's a, uh, that's a team that goes out and, you know, they're going to give you 110%. Um, it's a well-managed team, you know, for, for me, not really agreeing with some of the things that Mattingly has done as a manager, um, 
he's, you know, got the results. He's done it in LA. He's done it here uh, in Miami. Um, you know, you have to kind of tip your cap in that regard, but it's, uh, you know, the Marlins are not going to be happy about this. And whether it's Saturday or Sunday or one of the 18 other games they play against the Marlins this season, um, they, you know, you just have to fear that there's going to be some sort of uh, payback. And, and I said it in the article, too, on Thursday. By payback, I don't mean someone's going to get hit. That's the last thing you want to see. We're just talking about that. I'm talking about payback as in the Mets are going to be handed their own absolutely heartbreaking loss. You know it's going to come. And, uh, you know, <laughs> you just uh, you hope it doesn't come at the, at the worst possible time. Um, you know, there's – so much more season left and there's so much more <sighs> heights for this team to reach. That's probably the, maybe the general phrase I'm looking for. There's a lot of room for this team to grow and coming into the season as favorites, there's pressure there coming into the season is, you know, still trying to kind of piece together uh, a somewhat unfamiliar group. I mean, you had a core here, but there's a lot of new faces, um, Louis Rojas still hasn't had a full season underneath his belt as a manager. Like I said earlier in the show, there's going to be a learning curve as far as who fits where, who does what, what is the most effective way we can put together our roster. And, you know, there's going to be tinkering. There's going to be mistakes made. It's just, it's a natural part of the progress, uh, part of the process. But like I said, progress is there to be made. So, uh, you know, we can, we can hope for the best, um, I still think that this is going to be a very, very exciting season. Uh, all the pieces are in place. Uh, <laughs> you know, Pete Alonzo, Brandon Nimmo, Francisco Lindor, who's looked outstanding. He's making plays left and right. Um, I think I said it on the show last week. Uh, you know, Ray Ordonez was probably the last shortstop that we saw in New York to make these types of plays that Francisco Lindor makes, you know, consistently. He makes tough plays look easy. And sure, like Reyes was a good shortstop. Oh, fuck, I think we've actually had this exact conversation on the show, but I'll say it again. Um, Reyes was fine. Cannon for an arm had some range, but uh, he's not a quarter of the shortstop that Francisco Lindor is. Ray Ordonez, one of probably the best shortstop that I've ever seen play. Probably. And again, his window was very, very short. Um, highlights, you can go out and watch the highlight films and they do it justice, but just seeing him do it in day in and day out was an absolute pleasure, especially for like a, you know, I was a preteen. I was like 10 to 13 when the time he was during the time that he was in Queens. So uh, no, I shouldn't say that. It's probably later. So because yeah, he was there in 2000. So let's just say through my teenage years, it was Ray Ordonez. I got to see a lot of him and it was, you know, really, uh, you know, exciting. Just, he didn't have a bat whatsoever and we we knew that but um boy what he would do next and you got to keep in mind the shortstop position wasn't the the power position that a rod and then troy to whiskey turned it into um ray ordonez was just you know your quintessential shortstop and he could make outstanding plays francisco lindor makes all those plays anything that ordonez did or could have done and you know this is strictly objective but um Anything that Ordonez could have done during his prime, Lindor can do. I'm confident saying that 100%. And he's got the offense to go with it. And he's got the leadership skills to go with it. Like, 
you know, you see him barking around the infield on Thursday. Guys, keep it, you know, everybody get down. Keep it in the infield. Don't let the run score. Uh, he's talking to Peterson after Peterson's rough inning the other day. You know, all these things. Um, you know, we could all point towards Conforto as kind of the the face of the team or however you want to put it, the, uh, the spokesperson of the team. But, boy, Francisco Lindor, man. Um, whether it's whether it's honorary or whether he does kind of assume that that front and center leadership role and that's in the clubhouse and with the media, um, he certainly fits that bill, man. That is just a uh, an impressive, impressive ball player, impressive person. Yeah, very, very happy that he's in blue and orange. Nothing wrong with that, guys. Um, we've made it through yet another episode of Just Me. I hope you're enjoying this. Uh, my buddy Mitch Botanic was scheduled to join me tonight. Mitch is absolutely hammered at work. I hope not literally getting hammered at work, but he's getting slammed. I should put it that way. Uh, so Mitch had to take a rain check. He will be back. We're going to do a little hobby talk. We're going to do some Mets talk. We're going to do some pitching talk. Just do strictly baseball talk. I want to talk about the confidence level that it takes to succeed. Mitch played through college. Uh, he knows a little bit about that. He used to write about the Mets and their minor league system a bunch. Um, yeah, I want to hear about process and progress and confidence and all that fun stuff. But anyway, Mitch is going to be on soon. Uh, we're going to be back on Monday with a recap of the weekend. Um, I believe we're going to have a guest with us on Monday, but I don't want to go ahead and drop that just yet, just in case we don't uh, bring that plan to fruition. But uh, otherwise, yeah, guys, I mean, enjoy the uh, these Mets games. I think it's supposed to be a on and off rainy weekend. Hopefully the Mets get them both in. And um, yeah, everybody enjoy your off day on Friday. Watch another team. I highly suggest watching another baseball team uh, at least once a day or at least a couple of times a week just to kind of cleanse your palate, um, get you to appreciate that blue and orange, those absolutely gorgeous uniforms that our New York Metropolitans wear. And uh, yeah. Guys, we'll see you on Monday. Have a great weekend, and uh, let's go Mets.